Welcome in to the Get Out of Porn Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Wilkie. Last week we talked about defining trauma, and it's not what a lot of people think. It's not the big uh, events that take place, and, and I mean, it is that, but it's so much more than that. Really, it's any negative emotional experience that leaves kind of this wound, that leaves a scar, that has a deeper story that created core internal beliefs, negative beliefs about ourselves. And so it's really any event that's that way, our dad yelling at us, or it could be something major, obviously, abuse, things like that do it more than anything. But trauma can be defined in a lot of different ways. Big T, little T, we talked about all that last week. If you didn't listen to that, go back and check it out. But this week, I wanted to talk about what sort of things do we do in the mental health profession, or do I do, to help with trauma, the things that I found to be effective um, in, the, in the different types of trauma treatment modalities. And so you might find that as you're searching for a therapist, somebody says, I'm trauma-informed. And that's really what you're looking for if you do have trauma in your past. And in my opinion, if you're going to try to work on addiction, you need somebody who doesn't just specialize in cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, or solution-focused, or motivational interviewing, or narrative therapy. I use all of those. They're great. But you need to go that next level down when you're doing addiction work. If your addiction is really bad, if if, if you're looking at it maybe like once a month, a lot of times you can get out of it from CBT. Uh, It's a bad habit. You know, you're just going to do some basic, uh, I don't know, some basic things, right? You're going to put on the accountability software. You're going to get accountability partners. You're going to um, understand your triggers and try to just avoid your triggers. If it's once a month, that's one thing. Um, though if, if you've tried those things and it doesn't work, I'd still suggest trauma treatment. But then there's the side of, man, I'm viewing it every day and I can't seem to get out of it and I don't know what's going on. I don't know what I'm going to do. That's when we want to make sure that we are finding somebody who's trauma informed. So what does that mean to be trauma informed? It means that they know trauma treatments. And so what are the trauma treatments that are effective when dealing with porn addiction, sex addiction, things like that? First and foremost, I think is brain spotting or EMDR. In my opinion, EMDR is on the slow side. That's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And the idea is you're bouncing your eyes back and forth, a lot of bilateral stimulation uh, of the brain, and there's tapping and clicking and sounds and and sometimes lights. And so everybody does it, or or a lot of people do it a little bit differently based on um, what it looks like and, and such. But there's EMDR. That's on the slower side. You bounce your eyes back and forth and it actually kind of puts you back into the traumatic experience and you're able to process the emotions and feelings and everything else. I do brain spotting, which David Grant, who found brain spotting, was doing EMDR when he noticed clients' eyes would get stuck. And so the idea is where you look affects how you feel. And you track a person's eye movement, and I can do this online over Zoom. You track a person's eye movement as they work from left to right in their upper vision, middle vision, lower vision. And as they do, you can notice usually something on their face, a little twitch, they smile, they frown, they, they tense up, um, they swallow hard, they make a little <clears throat> in, their, uh, you know, in their throat, whatever it may be. And when we do that, then we can say, okay, that's the spot. Stay there, keep looking at that spot. We'll talk back and forth, but you keep looking at that spot. And when you find the spot, and some people find their own spots, they say, man, I really don't like looking to the right, I think it's over there, I'm going to look to the right. When they find their own spots or when you find that spot, um, they keep looking there and it's actually almost like a portal to kind of put you back into the traumatic memory. And you remember, and I've done this with dozens and dozens of clients, and like they remember things that they didn't previously remember. I had one client tell me like, that is as vivid as the day it happened. And 
it allows them to go back and process the emotions and also to see it. I've had another client who was doing it in we we blended another treatment modality, which I'll get to in a second, but we blended that one, and he went back, and he was looking at his younger self. He said, man, I didn't realize how young I was, so he's beat himself up for so long in not doing, stepping up and doing something that he was really ashamed of himself for not doing it, and he said, man, I didn't realize how young I was. It gives him context, right, and it allows him to view it from kind of a different side, a different angle, but also to work through the emotions that were never really processed, when we have something traumatic happen, a lot of times we close ourselves off. We don't talk about it. We, Especially if it's abuse, we keep it to ourselves and nobody really knows. And even if we come out about it later, that doesn't mean we've really processed the emotions surrounding the trauma. That's key when we're dealing with trauma. So the eyes and brain spotting, it, it is, again, it affects how you feel. So if you're looking at, let's say you, a lot of people, they say in a car wreck, where would you expect them to look? really up and to their right because that's where the rear view mirror is if they're getting hit from behind or whatever it is. Um, I've heard of people that, you know, at the bottom of the stairs, they watch their parents fight. And the domestic violence that took place, you know, it's down to the left. That was that was where they were watching it. Or the people that have been, um, I, I worked with one guy who had a parent scream at him from his, he was sitting on the bed and it was right in front of him and directly up. And as soon as he looked at it, it's like he was looking in, in that parent's eyes and it just immediately put him back in that place, and we were able to process through it. And it was very heavy, but yeah, he came to the other side of it. And this may sound weird. A lot of people are like, man, is that voodoo? That's kind of weird. I thought the first thing as well, I had it done to me, um, and the guy that taught me is just fantastic. Shout out to Nate. He was a he was a great guide in, in teaching me, but also in doing it to me. And it really does. It opens you up, and it causes you to remember things that you didn't remember before a lot of the time, or at least it op- it gives you the ability to process things that you have not previously processed. So brain spotting or EMDR, first and foremost, I think is helpful. The people that do both, I don't do both, but people that do, from what I've heard, generally prefer brain spotting. It's just faster, and it gets right to the point. Um, but you, if you've used it, uh, I'd love to know your feedback on what you preferred if you've done both. Um, the second one, though, so those are kind of an eye movement field. The second is called somatic experiencing, and the idea is you check in with your body. What are you somatically experiencing? What are you feeling? Where did you hold on to that emotion? So, for instance, the chest is really where you're going to hold on to a lot of hurt. Uh, people might say anxiety. Anxiety usually is located more in the stomach area. That's why you get a sick stomach. There's a lot of anxiety there. It's in the gut, which might be just above the stomach, but you start people start uh, holding themselves there and really not feeling well when they start thinking about these things. It may be, again, hurt in the chest, in the heart area. Anger a lot of times is felt in the outer extremities. You start clenching your fists. Your legs just want to start bouncing, and sometimes that's the fight-or-flight response. If you're carrying a lot of responsibility on your shoulders, you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, guess what's going to hurt? Your shoulders, your neck, uh, because you're carrying a lot of that responsibility and a lot of that weight, and you are physically feeling it. Sometimes when you got pressure headaches, it's because there's a lot of pressure or there's stress and you don't know how to solve a certain equation, especially if, as we've talked in internal family systems, especially if you are known as the thinker, as Mr. Smart Guy, right, Mr. Smarty Pants, and that's the guy that's in charge and, and you're Mr. Logic, and that part is failing you, yeah, you might have splitting headaches. That might really cause some of those things. The body tells all sorts of things. Matter of fact, Bessel van der Kolk's, uh, I don't know if it was bestseller, but I know it was a big deal. It's an orange book. It says uh, orange and blue, orange on the spine. Uh, the body keeps the score. Fantastic book. 
but it really goes into like how trauma affects the body. And it does in more ways than people can even begin to imagine. So somatic experiencing checks in on people's body. Uh, what are you feeling in this moment? And, and tell me where you're feeling that emotion and all sorts of questions surrounding the body, the somatic experience. And when you can do that, you can breathe into those parts and you can work through those parts and you can acknowledge those parts. And um, and there's other things that go along with that uh, technique. But when you're really allowing your body to feel some of those things, you can process through it bodily uh, as well. So somatic experiencing can be another great option. A third one is what I call, re- or not what I call, but what people call reparenting. And the idea, and I think I may have talked about this on the podcast before, but the idea is, let's say you have nine-year-old Joe, and I'm 29 now, and if nine-year-old Joe was really wounded, 29-year-old Joe can say, well, yeah, you know, I feel bad for him, that's a bummer, but I've, I've worked through it, I've processed through it. Let's say it was like my parents, and what you hear a lot of the times, oh, I've forgiven my parents. Yeah, I know, they had a lot of things going on. The question is not whether 29-year-old Joe has forgiven his parents and moved on. The question is whether 9-year-old Joe, who was in it, can forgive his parents and has moved on. Because if that's not the case, 9-year-old Joe is the addict. 9-year-old Joe is the one that really decided to run from these things because it hurt. He was, he was feeling unsafe, or he was feeling wounded, or he was feeling hurt, or he was feeling like he wasn't worthy of anything, or, or wasn't worthy of his parents' time, or whatever it may be. He was worthy of rejection. And if the nine-year-old self feels it, that's great if you've overcome it at 29 and you think that everything's great, but bottom line, you're still going to struggle with that because the nine-year-old is still stuck there. So reparenting is a way to close your eyes and you go back and you meet with that nine-year-old self. You get him out of whatever situation it may be and you get on his level and usually you give him a hug and you talk with him and, and you understand what is it that he needs? What does he need to hear from me? What is it that he needs in this moment? Man, he just needs a hug. Okay, give him that hug. What does he need to tell you? That's another one. A lot of people don't do, they don't ask the other side of it. It's just telling the nine-year-old. And what most people want to do is, man, he just needs to know he's going to get through it. He's going to be strong. And it's it's going to be, you know, he's, he's going to come through this on the other side and just a little bit longer. And I always challenge that. I say, really? Is it just a little longer? Because for him, consider the fact that he stayed at, you know, maybe stayed at home until he was 19. For a decade, he had more of this to put up with if it was, let's just say it was a negative house or whatever it is, right? And then I, I challenge that and say, man, to him, he's looking ahead at 10 more years of this and they go, well, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it is. So don't try to downplay your nine-year-old's lived experience by saying, oh, it's going to get better real shortly. Don't worry about it. He is worried about it, and it's not going to get better real shortly. It's going to take some time. And then I often ask, is it really better? Especially if they're an addiction, it seems like you just turned it into the addiction. So is it really any better? Really? Most of the time, you can talk them down off of that because they want to give that younger self advice. They don't want to sit with him. They don't want to listen to what he's going through. They don't want to just sit in his emotions and allow him to feel. They want to just get him through it as fast as possible. You're going to be fine. Rub some dirt on it type of thing give him a pat on the back and give him a quick hug and then, you know, dip. No, stay with him. He needs you. He needed somebody in that moment. He needed a parent and he didn't have that. That's why you are re-parenting. You're being the parent that that your parents were not. You're creating the positive attachment and helping him understand all of these positive things about himself that he did not previously understand. That's the power of re-parenting is you get to go back and be for yourself what other people could not be for you. Give yourself what other people did not give you. And there's such power in you being able to do it because you know what, if you could do it then, you can do it now. You can give that to yourself. And what you realize is you've been your biggest advocate all along. 
you've just failed to recognize it. So you can go back and reparent multiple different things, multiple different ways of, uh, or multiple different memories rather, that are traumatic or that really left wounds. And you can go back in each of those and meet with your younger self. If it was nine, if he was 15, if he was 21, if he was 28. I've worked with guys that have reparented themselves from two years previously, and they're in their 40s. They go back to 42, they're 44, they go back to 42, and they reparent the 42-year-old self and say, man, hey, I, I can't imagine what you're going through, um, or I can since it's you, but I can imagine, but let's just sit in this. Let's just talk about it. Let's feel those emotions, and you didn't get a chance to feel those two years ago. You just kept going because you felt the weight of the family on your shoulders. We're going to recognize what we feel in our shoulders. That's a big part of all of these things, somatic, especially brain spotting. I didn't say is in brain spotting, again, it's especially important that you connect the body. What are you feeling in your body? Where are you feeling it? Um, oh, you're feeling it in your, your stomach. Okay, I want you to put a hand on your stomach and just allow the emotion to rise. And as the emotion rises, then you can brain spot. It, it has to be on the heavy end, and I forgot to say that, but there has to be the body being tied into the mind, being tied into the emotions and brain spotting. That's why I love it so much is it's all encompassing. Reparenting though, you can go back and say, man, I know that you're feeling this in your gut. There's a lot of anxiety surrounding life at 10 years old and nine years old, whatever it may be. I'm just going to sit here with you. I'm going to hug you. I'm going to let you know that I'm here for you. And what do you have to say? Is there anything that I need to work you through? So that's reparenting. Um, it's very, very powerful. I'm probably butchering half of it. Uh, other therapists may be able to explain it better than me, but it is something you just have to experience. And the great news about all of these things, and with our fourth and final that I'm about to bring up, but the great news with all of these things is you can do it yourself. I've brain spotted myself. I've sat in my, um, and, and done some somatic experiencing. I've done reparenting on my own. I've gone back and reparented myself without the help of anybody else. And that's what I try to teach my clients is you can do this on your own. That's why you don't have to be in therapy for who knows how long, right? If, if you learn these things, learn the principles, learn how to do it, then theoretically, you can go back and give it to yourself. And I have clients that, that do, and they come back and report it. And they specifically report on the last one, which I've done an episode on, but that's internal family systems. This is great for trauma because you can then isolate the wounded parts the parts that were exiled during the trauma, and we can bring them out and we can talk with them. So if we understand the managers and the firefighters and the exiles, and if you don't, go back and listen to my uh, podcast previously. I believe it was episode, um, let me pull it up, um, episode 11. So go back and listen to episode 11 if you get an opportunity, uh, if you don't know what internal family systems is. But with the with those three parts and then the eight C's, the core self, but with those three parts that are really trying to protect the self, the managers, the firefighters, and the exiles, trauma is basically surrounding all of those. So the manager, let's say you have trauma at 10 years old, the manager comes in and says, I'm going to be perfect from here on out. And if I'm perfect, if I get A's on every test, and if I am overachieving and always doing my chores, then maybe then my dad won't come in and hit me. He won't physically abuse me if I'm perfect. And so I learn the manager is perfection. The manager is I'm going to go above and beyond in every category. What happens if he fails from time to time? Nobody can be perfect 24-7. Well, then the exile starts to come out. The exile is maybe failure. You're, you're, you, know, the, you hate failure. You fear failure. You fear what that represents. Ultimately, though, it's going to be hurt, right? You're hurt by the fact that your dad is physically abusing you and you don't want to have to deal with that pain. But you've been blaming yourself and you've been blaming failure for a long time. So if we pull in failure as the exile, you get to talk with it 
you get to let it tell its story. But most of the time when failure presents itself, when hurt presents itself, whatever emotion is, rejection from your father, you don't want to feel that. So when the perfectionist lets down on his job, you start to feel rejection. You start to feel failure. Well, we can't have that, and so the firefighter pops up. This is the heart of addiction. All of a sudden, you find yourself wanting to act out sexually. You want to act out through porn. And it's your way of distracting from or really pushing that exile back out the door. He's not invited in the house. I'm not allowed. I I don't want hurt. I don't want rejection. I don't want failure coming through. So the firefighter acts out. That gives the manager of perfectionism an opportunity to kind of come back through and say, okay, I'm never going to do it again. And the perfectionist, like the, the struggle to work through pornography, the perfectionist both loves and hates. He hates that he can't get it right, but he also loves the fact that he gets to come in and save the day every single time you relapse. So it's just this back and forth. But where did this start? It started with your dad physically abusing you. The manager of perfectionism got started. This is why it's so helpful in traumas. We can actually understand what things are managers and protectors, just protecting the system, the electrician that shuts down all emotions, right? I mean, things like that. Why? We want to know why they do what they do. And when we do, we often come back to As a kid, or when this happened, this really hurt. Well, have you dealt with the hurt? No. Why not? Because I'm afraid to. Because if I show that I'm hurt, it shows that I'm weak. And if I'm weak, it shows I might be hurt again. So I can't do that. I can't allow for weakness. I can't allow for hurt to come out. We hold ourselves back. When we process through that, and we can talk to these parts and really just understand and listen to these parts, and if we utilize and blend the other ones, it's a beautiful thing. People can really come through their own traumas. And so, those are some trauma techniques. Those are four. I know there are more out there. These are the four that I would say are just at the pinnacle. If you're going to get trauma therapy, ask for one of those, whether it be brain spotting, uh, somatic experiencing, reparenting, or IFS. There's other techniques, kind of like the Gestalt or Gestalt method has empty chair, and sometimes you can have it, you know, I'll blend some of that in, and that can help process trauma. People say writing letters that can help or uh, things like that. Sure, no doubt. No doubt those can help, but I don't find those to be the most powerful when it comes to being trauma-informed. The great news about those four that I mentioned is, again, they can all be blended. So a lot of times as I'm brain spotting and as we're going through what the body is actually experiencing and you're feeling it in your stomach and you say, man, it's at like a nine. I'm feeling real, real sick and it's at a nine. Okay, open your eyes. We brain spot. While we're there, you can tell us what's coming up for you. They say, man, I just remember that time that maybe my dad hit me. And then depending on the situation, depending on the feel of the moment, sometimes I'll say, okay, well, you know, as if you take your present self and you step back in there, can you do that? Can you see the situation? They say, yeah. And I say, what is it that your younger self needs the most? And sometimes it's a stand up to the dad and sometimes it's to just get him out of the situation. Either way, we want him out of the situation. So they can go and they get themselves out of that situation, take them to a safe place. This is all within the brain spotting. They're still looking at that spot and they're still very much engaged in the emotion. Now we're blending internal family systems. And then if we understand sometimes, or we're blending reparenting rather, but then sometimes we can bring in internal family systems and we say, man, it looks like maybe that's, maybe that's fear out there and you're looking at fear. What do you think fear has to say? Now we're blending brain spotting and internal family systems. Sometimes you can go three levels deep and br- blend brain, brain spotting into reparenting into internal family systems as you talk to your younger self about some internal family systems work. So it's multi-level. And these things, it's this is why you need trauma-informed is if you go to a therapist and they say, yeah, we're going to work through the trauma by you just writing a letter to your parents and forgiving them or something, that's horrible. 
you can't forgive them until you've processed through all the emotion. You forgive them too soon, you've done yourself a disservice. But a lot of times when they're not trauma-informed, they want to go to the, the quick fix. Trauma is the deep fix. That's the hard fix. That's the one that's going to take some time. Be aware of that. Trauma takes time to process through. But that's also the thing that's going to keep you steady, keep you stable. Remember that. Slow change is stable change, is what they say, or, or variations of that. I try not to take a super long time. I try to give you these tools so you can do it to yourself and for yourself. But at the same time, people want the quick fix. They want to come and figure out how to get out of pornography addiction within the next two weeks. It's not going to happen. You have to wrestle with the demons that are internal, the demons that started from the trauma, and this is how, how to do it. This is the best way I know how to do it. That doesn't mean these are the only ways. That doesn't mean there aren't therapists that can blow my doors off with other trauma techniques that are fantastic. But I just find these to be ultra helpful. Again, there's a lot of different methods. Feel free to look up trauma-informed therapies or treatment modalities, and you'll find all sorts that are really, really cool. But if you are struggling, if you're really in the addiction, I, I would ask for you to just reach out to a trauma-informed therapist, whether that be me, get on Psychology Today and look that up, find somebody that you trust or somebody that looks like they might know what they're doing, they've been in the field for a while, they, they do XYZ trauma-informed-wise, but get yourself some help. Stop thinking that you're going to get through a deep everyday addiction through CBT. It's probably not going to happen. If it was, was going to happen, it would have. Take care of yourself. Go back, and the great news is it's not just about getting out of addiction. You develop a really strong relationship with yourself with these things, with, with these trauma techniques, you start to become a full, whole person. You're no longer running from that nine-year-old. You're no longer running from those emotions. You're able to embrace them, which means you can do that going forward. If something happens to you like me at 29, I can embrace it. I know what to do now. I have the techniques to know what to do in the moment, and that can really help as well. So once again, hope this has been helpful. Um, as I always say, and uh, if you do have any questions, please reach out to Counseling at gmail.com, W-I-L-K-I-E. Uh, but I will talk to you again next week.